0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to our guest speaker. He's been here on a number of occasions. Joel and I have become really good friends over the last several years. We shared a conference together in Jerusalem, the very first Epicenter Conference. Um, Joel has written a number of books that have been on the New York Times bestseller list, like Epicenter, The Last Jihad, The Ezekiel Option, The Copper Scroll, just to name a few. Joel has served as a um, senior political aide to several political figures, Steve Forbes, Benjamin Netanyahu, the current Prime Minister of Israel, etc. And the day after tomorrow, he's leaving to Europe, to speak. He's been invited to speak to the capital of of the European Union in Brussels, and gets often invitations to um, senators' offices at the Pentagon, etc., to be briefed on uh, what uh, Christians believe about the last days and what uh, some of the enemies of Israel believe concerning their eschatology. Now, what we're doing this weekend is a little bit different. Joel wanted to share five different messages that comprise a series. And the series is critical issues facing people of the epicenter, the epicenter being Israel and her neighbors. And last night Joel spoke on are the Jews the chosen and why does it matter? This morning Joel wants to speak on Were the Jews given the promised land and why does it matter? You should also know that afterward Joel will be available in the bookstore for a book signing, if you want to read his newest book, The Twelfth Imam that just came out recently, a great read. And um, tonight we're having a question and answer session if you want to come and ask specific questions. About end times, eschatology, what's going on in that part of the world. Joel travels extensively. It'd be good for you to ask those questions tonight at 7. Without any further ado, would you please welcome Joel Rosenberg?
1: Good morning. Thank you so much. Skip, thank you so much. It's a joy to be back here. And uh, it, it is an important series, and it's because it's an important moment. Uh, we are living at a moment of extraordinary risk and danger for the people of the Middle East, and, and particularly Israelis and Jews uh, feel some heavy weights on them. You know, Jesus uh, encouraged his disciples, challenged his disciples, in Luke chapter 12, verse 56. He said, why do you analyze the earth and the sky? In other words, why are you so interested in the weather report? Uh, and why do you not analyze this present time? And part this, this series is really about analyzing what 's going on in our world, particularly in the Middle East, in the epicenter, and talking about uh, some major issues threats facing uh, Israel and her neighbors now there 's two major threats facing facing Israel and the Jewish people right now, one of them, of course, is one that i 've been writing and speaking about here and around the country and around the world for a number of years and that 's the threat of radical Islam and actually in the next uh, message uh, I will be going into that specifically this threat of radical Islam uh, and, and, and what is it what is it and what drives it and what does it mean but this the, there's another threat it's not just radical Islam that's a threat to Israel and the Jewish people the other threat is the threat of replacement theology you see radical Islam threatens Israel today with annihilation but replacement theology threatens Israel and the Jewish people with delegitimization. What do I mean by that? Replacement theology is the doctrine that God has rejected the Jewish people because historically many Jews have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. This is the doctrine that says God has finished with Israel, that, that there's no special place in the world for Israel, that God doesn't have a special plan or, and purpose for the Jewish people, and that in fact, not just that is God done with the Jews, but that God has replaced the Jews and the and the nation of Israel as, as with the Church. That the Church now inherits all the promises, and, and God is finished with Jews. Now, this is uh, not some sideshow doctrine that's you know affecting a few people. Um, you know, by God's grace, you're sitting in a congregation this morning that neither believes nor teaches replacement theology but the majority of people who follow jesus christ around the world are attending churches that do hold and teach this idea that god has done with the jewish people that he there is no special place for israel and that the church has replaced israel as the apple of god's eye uh, this is Catholics, this is Protestants, uh, in, in many, many spheres. Not all, but obviously, uh, but, but it's a significant issue. Now, in part one of the series, as Skip mentioned, we walk through one Bible passage after another, both Old and New Testament, proving that according to the Scriptures, the Jewish people are, in fact, the chosen people, chosen by God, uh, to know Him and to make Him known we saw that God himself chose the Jewish people to reveal himself to them and through them. Now, in part two, we want to ask and answer the question, were the Jews given the promised land? And and, and so what? Why, why does that matter? Now, this controversy over this, this theology, this replacement theology, is as real as the current headlines. And October 23rd, 2010, headline in the New York Times read, quote, "...bishops at meeting urge Israel to end its occupation of Palestinian territories." The New York Times reported that in a final communique at the end of a two-week-long meeting at the Vatican on the plight of Christians in the Middle East, the bishops urged Israel not to use the Bible to wrongly justify injustices, apparently referring to Israel's occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. Let's just stop there for a moment. The New York Times doesn't seem to realize that Israel gave Gaza back to the Palestinians or gave it to the Palestinians in 2005. Not a single Israeli lives in Gaza, save one, Gilad Shalit, an Israeli soldier that was kidnapped by the Hamas terrorists and had been held against his will with no uh, contact with the West for four years. That's the only Israeli that lives in Gaza. New York Times, paper of record doesn't seem to remember that fact. But nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, we're not asking great things from the New York Times. Uh, but listen, uh, but they're reporting on this this, this uh, communique that indicated, one, by the way, what we mentioned last night in the first message was that uh, these bishops said that the Jews are no longer the chosen people. And that's what we were talking about. Uh, are they, last night? They are, uh, by God's grace. Uh, but then, he, you know, the bishops were saying that Israel is occupying... Land that's not theirs. Let me pick up with the New York Times story. In a news conference uh, releasing this communique, the archbishop in charge of the committee that drafted this statement appeared to go further even than the statement itself, saying the Bible does not justify a Jewish presence in Israel. Quote, the concept of the promised land... Cannot be used as a base for justification of the return of Jews to Israel. And the displacement of Palestinians, he said, quote, sacred scripture should not be used to justify the occupation by Israel of Palestine. Now, as extraordinary as that is to those of us who believe differently, Uh, it's not just these Catholic leaders, uh, and and not all Catholic leaders believe this, let's be clear, but but these were some of the top bishops and archbishops who who came together at the Vatican to say this. But they're not alone. Uh, Last month, the Anglican archbishop, Desmond Tutu of South Africa, called for the Cape Town Opera House uh, or team to cancel their scheduled tour of Israel. Why? Because in his view, Israel practices apartheid is occupying land that is not their own, and that going to Israel would be, quote, unconscionable, unquote. Last June, Methodists in the United Kingdom declared a boycott of all Israeli goods coming from Judea and Samaria, the region that the world calls the occupied West Bank. In December of 2009, a council of Lutheran, Anglican, Greek Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, Greek Syrian and Armenian Catholics and others, other church leaders, issued a report called the Kairos-Palestine document. And this document denounced the evil of Israeli occupation of the land. Now in 2005, the United Church of Christ voted to divest any and all of their funds that might be going in any way, shape or form to bless Israel in companies that were Israeli or had investments in Israel they wanted to divest themselves entirely of any company that might have any connection to Israel on the notion that Israel is occupying land that is not their own. In recent years, the Lutheran, Methodist, and Presbyterian, uh, some uh, portions of the Presbyterian denominations have rejected uh, divestment resolutions, but there are large movements within those denominations those Protestant denominations, that want to cut off any economic investments in assistance to Israel because Israel is believed by them to be occupying land that is not their own. So this raises the question, are these church leaders correct? I mean, we don't expect radical Muslims to believe that Israel has a right to exist, that Jews have a right to live freely, securely, uh, safely in their own country. We don't expect that of radical Muslim leaders uh, like Osama bin Laden and Mahmoud Ahmadinejad from Iran. But are these church leaders correct with their replacement theology? Are, they, are the Jews occupying land that is not their own? Are s- such leaders correct that Jews have no biblical basis To live in the Holy Land. Let's take a look at what the Word of God actually says. Now, uh, I'm going to be moving around a a bit. So, I, you know, get out your notepads and uh, I'll I'll say the verses. And if you're with a friend or a spouse or a parent or a kid, maybe they'll write down one, you'll write down another. We're going to go through a lot of information pretty quickly. So buckle up and let's dive in. Starting in Genesis, beginning in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord makes it clear in this extraordinary and historic passage that he has chosen Abram, a Hebrew, to, quote, make a great nation, unquote. And the Lord says to him, quote, I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God decides sovereignly to choose a Hebrew, or what will eventually be known as the Jewish people, but at that time known as Hebrews. He chooses one. Why didn't he choose somebody from Japan or Brazil or India? I don't know. Uh, and if, but, but that we walk through that chosen part in the, in the first message. This one is, okay, so he chooses them. He says, I'm going to bless the world through you. The world has not always felt blessed. Uh, but this is a battle uh, that, that we'll discuss throughout this series. But in Genesis 13, the very next chapter, God does something interesting. Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. The Lord specifically takes Abraham from Iraq, where he was born and raised in Ur of the Chaldees. ...to the land that we now call Israel. And what did the Lord say to Abraham there? He said, quote, "...now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are." Where was he? He was standing in the Jordan Valley... ...in the area that now the world calls the West Bank... ...as in the West Bank of the Jordan River. This is the Jordan Valley. This is the heart of biblical uh, Israel. But at the moment, uh, it wasn't called Israel yet... But he was standing there and and the Lord said, Look where you are, from where you are in the Jordan Valley, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Doesn't forever mean forever? Now this promise is reaffirmed to Isaac and later to Jacob, who whose name the Lord changes from Jacob to Israel. Now in Genesis chapter 48, we pick up the story. Genesis 48, verses 3 and 4. Jacob tells one of his sons, in this case Joseph, quote, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make you a company of peoples and I will give this land to you and your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now, doesn't everlasting mean everlasting? In Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, very interesting sentence, not the only time it's mentioned in the Bible, but just picking one here for time's sake today. Exodus twelve twenty-five. Quote, when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. In this case, it's the Passover rite. And he goes on. Th- this is where we get the idea that this is the promised land. Not because the Jews one day thought, "Oh, yeah, we're chosen and we get this land and we'll just say that God promised it to us. I mean, I, you know, given of all the challenges uh, that Jewish people have faced throughout the years, you know, most Jews don't even want to feel, they don't wanna even want to be chosen. And, and, and they certainly don't want to claim many that they have been given something by God. Many Jews don't even believe in God or they're not sure if they believe in God. Many Jews want to give as much land away as they possibly can. They just keep finding the intransigence of, uh, of leadership on the other side of the aisle that all, wants it, all of it and rather just a, than a portion of it. But in this case, this is where we get this term, the promised land. It was given as an everlasting possession. It was given forever. It was a promise made to the Jewish people. Now, Exodus, uh, switch a few pages over to Exodus chapter 33. Again, Exodus 33, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Wouldn't, wouldn't you have loved to have been in that conversation? Any of these conversations, but boy, that would have been exciting. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, quote, Depart. Now where, where are they? They're in Egypt, right? Depart. Go up from here. You and the people. What people? 2 million or so Jewish people that have been living in slavery in Egypt. Depart and go up from here, you and all the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Actually, forgive me, let me correct something. They have already come out of Egypt. Now they're at Mount Sinai, right? So they're, they're out of the land of Egypt. But they're en route to a place where God says, I swore this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I said, I will give it to you and your descendants. Now there's many other passages that keep reinforcing this idea of the promised land. God says it all the way through the scriptures. Now, let me make a, a distinction between ownership and occupancy, okay this is interesting because God has clearly given Jews the ownership of the land forever as an everlasting possession. He swore it to them uh, and there, it, he doesn 't ask anything in terms of the ownership of the land it 's an unconditional promise, but he he does condi- make a condition on their ability to occupy the land at any given moment, meaning to live in it. If you go through the Old Testament, particularly Deuteronomy and Leviticus and these other um, uh, early uh, books of the Bible, part of the Pentateuch, it's clear that God says, listen, if you follow me, if you love me, if you serve me, if you obey me, if you study my word, if you keep my word, if you hold... Fast to me if you cling to me then I will bless you in that land that I've given you and I will take care of you And you'll be fruitful and numerous and there's all kinds of amazingly wonderful promises to the jewish people living in the land of israel However, the lord does say listen if you don't follow me if you abandon me if you cut me loose If you don't study the word if you don't teach the word to your children If you if you abandon me if you forget about me I'm going to kick you out for a while and we'll, 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 will work out, you know, it's like a time out <laughs> from the land. And then we're gonna go through some process of, uh, let's having a little tete-a-tete there talking about getting you back to with me. And then I'll bring you back to the land and, and reestablish me, reestablish you. And we see that. And what's clear is the ownership of that land is un- an unconditional grant from God who owns everything to Jews but the uh, any given moment the occupancy is based upon faithfulness okay now this is the difference and it's important to make that this difference now in ezekiel chapters 36 37 38 and 39 these chapters are the famous chapters where god says In one of these periods when you have been kicked out of the land and you're scattered all over the world, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to sovereignly bring you back to the land of Israel. The the nation of Israel in the last days will be prophetically reborn. And Jews, I will draw you Jewish people back to the land from where I've scattered you all over the world. And you will make the deserts bloom. With my help the lord says and I will help you rebuild the ancient ruins and it'll be an extraordinary thing The world won't think it's even possible, but but I will do it Now what's interesting is when you go through and I would encourage you To go through those chapters and meditate on them and study them carefully verse by verse line by line But if you do that through ezekiel 36 37 38 and 39 What you find is that in Ezekiel 37, what's known as the Valley of the Dry Bones, this prophecy that this supernatural physical restoration of this nation of Israel and Jewish people coming back to the land, that's the first prophecy In Ezekiel 37. But there's a second one. That once that physical restoration. Has been set into motion. Then it will become a spiritual uh, restoration. God says he will prophesy to the breath. And and, and say, breathe life into these Jewish people. In other words. In in this particular end time scenario. God said. I'm going to bring the people back to Israel. The Jewish people. Before they've really come to me. But in the process of showing my love. That I will draw them back. As a people to this land that I gave to them that I promised to them and their forefathers In the process of doing it, then I'll start to breathe life into them In other words, the holy spirit will start to move and jewish people will not just come back to the land But they'll come back to their father in heaven through faith in yeshua the messiah jesus the messiah this is an extraordinary thing and honestly for about roughly 19 centuries People thought, you gotta be kidding me. You don't actually believe the Bible means what it says, do you? You don't actually believe that Israel is literally gonna become a country, do you? You don't think for a moment that the Jewish people are going to be blessed by God and and shown His favor and brought back from wherever they are to the land of Israel. You don't believe that literally, do you? And a lot of, and I'm not talking about pagans who said that, I'm talking about many of our church fathers who believe that that's where replacement theology came from because for for many they thought well you know let's say 500 years after uh, Jews uh, were you know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed and Jews were scattered you know maybe 500 years later church fathers around the world particularly in Europe are thinking well uh, there's no evidence not a scintilla of hope that that Jews are coming back to the land of Israel and that Israel will be you know prophetically resurrected so so we must be reading these verses wrong Yes, they look pretty clear, but obviously we're not reading them correctly and there were probably All uh, right. Well, there were historically people said no 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 no, no. The, the bible means what it says hold on just have faith Okay, it takes a little extra time, but Well, then 600 years went by 700 years went by a thousand years went by no israel No jews coming back to the land 1200 years go by 1400 years go by 1500 years go by no israel no jewish return so now the church fathers are building up quite a bit of data here and and one church father is quoting the the last set of church fathers going see god's done with the jewish people that these verses were reading them wrong every time you see a promise for israel you just flip that in your mind that's a promise for the church because god has replaced israel with the church Almost 1,900 years went by and there were very few people left who said, you know, I, I, I don't understand it all but I think if God said it, he meant it and someday it's going to happen and most people, most of Christendom got to the point where they're like, we're just reading that wrong. That God has replaced the Jewish people. He, There's no plan for Israel. God has no special role for them. Oh, then came May 14th, 1948. The Bible actually says at one point, can a nation be born in a day? Apparently it can. And God began doing something extraordinary. He did something that, th- that even the church leadership, much of it for, not all of it, but much of it throughout the, the ages thought there's no way that that's going to happen. God is done with the Jews. He's done with Israel. They don't deserve the land. It's over. But God has shown himself in the last 62 plus years that he means what he says. Now, his sense of timing is not our own, okay? We don't understand his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. But we have seen with our own eyes, God made good on these prophecies. And, and, and I think that's really extraordinary, and it, and it reminds us, That God's word is powerful and sometimes we don't understand it I mean we understand it because it's often clear what it says, but we just think in our own hearts It it can't mean that it just that's too much to believe But this is a reminder and it's a super sign the fact that israel is a nation again that countries hate it unfortunately uh, that, that, that the jews are coming back to the land and coming to faith These are evidences of major end times prophecies coming true in our lifetime. And it does beg the question, if these prophecies about the end of days have come true already in our lifetime, you know, isn't it remotely possible that maybe God means all the other things he said? I would say yes. And we'll talk about that throughout the rest of this series. Now, in Joel, I love the book of Joel, as you might guess, um, the real book of Joel, you know, he was a prophet. I'm running a non-profit, the Joshua Fund. But in Joel chapter 3, we find a very interesting passage. Joel chapter 3. Now, the book of Joel is an end times series of prophecy. It's, it's talking about, the day, blow a trumpet in Zion for the day of the Lord is coming. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a three-chapter book designed to get the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and anyone else who... Wants to listen to the word of god to know that the lord is coming and we need to get ready for it But we need to know that there's going to be all kinds of traumas and tribulations and trials Uh in the days leading up to the lord coming. That's what the book of joel is about you can see why I like it because I I I I believe we're seeing much of it come to pass and we're heading towards its fulfillment but in joel chapter 3 Beginning in verse 1 we read this for behold In those days, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which um, is also uh, known often as the valley of decision or judgment. Then I will enter into judgment with them, with the nations there. On behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. This is a really interesting passage because it suggests that in the end times, as we approach the day of the Lord, the nations of the earth are going to be horrible to the Jewish people. And they will be part of the scattering and the persecution the oppression of the Jewish people. Moreover... Note what they will have done. That the nations will have, quote, divided up my land, unquote, says the Lord. And the Lord's going to gather the nations when when he comes back, and that's going to be part of the judgment. That, 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 That the nations, the Gentiles, were oppressive and persecuting to the Jewish people. They didn't bless them, they cursed them, and that they divided up the land of Israel. The scriptures are very clear uh, throughout the text, throughout from Genesis to Revelation, that God has given this land, has promised it to the Jewish people. And not because the Jewish people have deserved it. Uh, Make a note in your notes, Deuteronomy chapter 9. In Deuteronomy 9, the Lord says not once, not twice, but three times that he hasn't given this land to the Jewish people because we were more righteous than anyone else. Three times he really wants to drive it home It's not because you're better than everyone else that i'm giving you this land i'm doing it sovereignly. He makes clear I'm, just doing it but through you i'm going to do something special I want to show the world that I can take a people group. That's not you know better than everyone else That's not clearly taller than everyone else uh, um, If you look at me and skip but uh, uh, you know, i'm just going to do something i'm going to take a group Sovereignly choose them and give them land and bless them and show my love through to them and through them and even in their disobedience, perhaps you might argue, especially in their disobedience. The Lord says, I will show that I'm loving, that I'm merciful, that I make promises and I keep them. That I love people even when they fail. That I care for people even when they turn away from me at times. I come after them and I draw them back and I want to restore them. That's the picture we get of God's heart and his faithfulness to Him, to his word and his people and the people that he loves through the story of Israel. And it's certainly applicable to all of us. Now some people say, "Well, okay, that's the Old Testament, Joel. The New Testament, you know, that's a whole new covenant. That's a new set of promises, son. He's done with Israel. It's but move on." No, no. Acts chapter one, in Acts chapter one, verse six, the disciples ask a very interesting question. They ask, "Lord, is it at this time? You know, now you you died on the cross. You resurrected. You're walking around with us for 40 days. It's pretty cool." And is this the moment then you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, end Roman occupation, political control of the land. The Jews were there, but they didn't have sovereignty over their land. The Romans did. Is this the time that you're going to end the Roman occupation and give Jews full political legal control again of the Holy Land? Now Jesus says, listen, listen, gentlemen, this is... This is not the time or place. I, I, this is the Lord will the Father will make this clear in due time, uh, when this is going to happen. Now he does, Jesus doesn't rule out. He doesn't say that's a stupid question. He doesn't say no, 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 no. I'm, I'm ne- God's never going to restore Israel. He just says this is not the time to talk about it. Well, that didn't seem to make sense to the disciples then because they were so sure the Messiah was going to come and not just restore people spiritually to the Father, but restore Israel sovereignly in the land. But The Lord was like, "Mm, that's going to be like 1,900 years away. I don't know that you can bear that right now. I've got some other things that are going to happen first. They would have been crushed if the Lord Jesus had been honest with them and told them, okay, it's so far off, you can't even think 1,900 years. It just would have been too much to bear. So he said, you focus on walking with me, being my witnesses. I'm going to give you my spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? Why there? Because that's where the Jews live. In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria is where the world now calls that the West Bank, the occupied West Bank. That's where the Jews lived. That's where they were supposed to do ministry. But not only in Israel, but also to the ends of the earth. And that's how you and Albuquerque got the gospel. Now, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, 38 and 39. In Acts chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, Peter... preaching this is an extraordinary uh, message that he delivers Uh, let me just cite a critical piece of it acts 10 38 and 39 peter says jesus of nazareth nazareth was anointed it says he's anointed with the holy spirit and he goes on to say and jesus was went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for god was with him Then, as he continues through that message, you know, he's essentially asking where did all this happen? Where did Jesus do all this great ministry? Where did the Jewish Messiah come? Peter says, We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the countryside of the Jews, says the, the land of the Jews, and in Jerusalem. That's interesting. Where was Jesus doing most of his ministry? In Judea and Samaria. Not in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv didn't exist on the coastland. Haifa didn't exist on the coastland. Netanya didn't exist. Herzliya Pituach didn't exist. All those Israeli towns where the major population centers are now on the Mediterranean coastline, that there weren't Jews living there. Not many. The, the heartland of the promised land was Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's where Jesus did this ministry. And what does he call it? The countryside of the Jews. This is a reaffirmation That this is Jewish territory This was promised again and again and again And being reaffirmed in the New Testament Now We will be looking In, uh, in the next uh, In the next message uh, At the book of Revelation specifically Because when you go through the book of Revelation What you see Are passages where Israel is the centerpiece Of the end times I mean The not just Revelation, but all of end times prophecy is tied together with Israel having to be a nation again, Jews having to come back to the Holy Land again, of Satan attacking the Jewish people again and again and again, globally, but particularly in the land of Israel, Satan wanting to dominate the nation of Israel, conquer the beautiful land, reign from Jerusalem. Why? Because he wants to do everything that Jesus does, except he wants to do it in in opposite And and, and so what we see from Genesis where God gives the land of Israel and promises it to the Jewish people to Revelation where Israel is regathered back in the country, back in the land, but under intense persecution. But then what happens? The God of the Bible comes to fight for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. He rescues Israel and the Jewish people. He sends the Messiah to return where? To Albuquerque? To Washington? To Moscow? To Beijing? No, to Israel. To Jerusalem. The epicenter of His plan and purpose for the world. I think that it's clear when you go through the totality of Scripture that the Old and New Testament once again affirms again and again and again God's love for the Jewish people and that He gave this land to the Jewish people. And, and the end times prophecies, biblically, require Israel to be reborn. Now, why do these things matter? They matter because people have bad theology, and bad theology is having devastating consequences. Many pastors and priests around the world, some entire denominations, are saying that God doesn't love the Jewish people. They're saying that God has rejected the Jewish people. They're saying that Jews don't have the right to live safely and freely in the land of Israel. They're boycotting Israel. They're divesting from Israel. They're giving aid and comfort to governments who are turning against Israel. They're refusing to show Israel and the Jewish people the love of Jesus Christ. They're refusing to share the good news of the gospel with the Jewish people and the people of the region. And in doing so, they are tragically disobeying the Jewish Messiah. Angering the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob And bringing judgment upon themselves If they don't turn But we who are true followers Of the scriptures Now is our time To reaffirm our great love God's great love for Israel and the Jewish people We'll be uh, doing a conference next year In Israel Skip and I will do another epicenter conference And a tour in Israel And we will gather people And I want to encourage you to come If you've never been there before, or if you've been there before, this is the time for true followers of Jesus Christ. As the rest of the world turns away from Israel, to be turning towards Israel, to go up the one-way street against traffic, to to gather in Israel, to worship Jesus in Israel, to study the Word of God. We're going to go through the book of Joel, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, all three chapters in two days. Skip will be there, Ray Bentley from Maranatha Chapel in San Diego, Kay Arthur... Grand Lots, myself, and a number of others we haven't announced yet. I would encourage you to consider coming. And in the meantime, pray for us. And the Joshua Fund ministry that we run uh, to bless Israel and her neighbors, find out more about what we're doing and consider praying with us. Consider financially giving to us. Uh, in the bookstore where I'll be signing, we've got a Joshua Fund booth uh, with one of my colleagues there. We're happy to ask answer questions that you may have. But God is doing something special. and And throughout this series... I can't do it all in one message, but throughout this series this weekend, I hope that we can get into these critical issues. And tonight, we're going to be talking about very specific, practical ways that the church can bless Israel and her neighbor based on these principles of Scripture that we've laid down so far. And we'll, of course, answer your questions too. Let's close in prayer now. I hope that has been encouraging and helpful to you in the context of these critical issues that we face. Father... Thank you for this time and your love. And I pray you bless this congregation and take care of them and guide them through these critical issues to know what they should do specifically. I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.